Hi, this is Rachel and Recover. We're back with Esther and she's going to tell the rest of her story. How has your faith helped you through this and how has it challenged your faith? So hope is a big conversation in Christianity. Uh, There's a lot of conversation about hope. And at one point I had lost all hope. I didn't even know what the, I began to believe that hope was not possible to even achieve. And so I would be sitting in church and the pastor talking about hope. And I'm thinking, I guess hope is only in death. Like your only hope you have is dying and going to heaven. And everything else is, there is no hope. There's no hope in anything. Everything else is dismal, uh, miserable, depressing. Everything else on this earth is just, uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like horrible. <laughs> so um, I think that I have seen this too in, in churches where people, Christians will change or only absorb part of the message of the Bible um, and will make, uh, will, will change the message of hope into something that, that suits their story. And, um, if you're in a story, if your situation is a story that is hopeless, um, Christianity will take it and say, well, you always have hope and eternal life. Well, that's all great, but that's not the entire story. That's not the message of the Bible. The Bible uh, says, and my, interestingly enough, my ex-husband would quote this scripture that God has designed us to have uh, life and have life abundantly. And that was not the life that my children and I were living. And interestingly, as my husband, ex-husband would quote that scripture, his life was not abundant. He did not live an abundant life. It was more like a daydream for him. Um, and so I would say that being in church and hearing sermons was actually, um, it was like a North Star for me because uh, what I was experiencing at home was not a Christian home. There was, I did not have a Christian, my husband did not have Christian behaviors. Um, And so being in church, actually uh, being, hearing the word of God taught actually helped me continue to keep my mind straight and completely instead of falling into an abyss of confusion, which is where I was constantly being pulled into this vortex of confusion because we were constantly in this uh, what's black is white and what's white as black uh, reality. And I was always beginning to question even my, did I even have a pulse on reality? And being in church was the only thing that kept me from completely falling into that vortex and hearing and reading the word of God and seeing the, what God said is good behavior. This is what, this is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what good behavior looks like is what actually helped me recognize where we were and how dysfunctional our relationship was and that there was nothing godly or Christian about it. And, um, that was hard for me to accept because we had spent our whole life supposedly trying to be that Christian couple um, I question God a lot. Um, I still sometimes question God. I question God even more after I got a divorce because I couldn't, I didn't understand how 
you could work so hard to to try and do what God's will is and end up in a divorce um, and end up in the marriage I was in. But I also came to the point where I had to recognize that um, in order for a family to be living in God's will, all members of the family have to be willing to live in God's will and do behave in the manner that God says is, is good. And what I found through even counseling, secular counseling, was that their practices and their beliefs, the things that they teach you in secular counseling, is the same principles of behavior that are found in God's word. And I was able to match those two things together. So it helped me stay strong in my faith because I was still seeing that these things that um, were in Christianity that are being taught in the Bible, in the word of God, as principles for life, were also taught in secular therapy on principles for healthy relationships. And that was really good for me to make that connection. Um, and it kept me from just abandoning uh, God and Christianity because what I saw was what's true is still true across the board. What's right is right across the board. There, It is not an interpretation of who, who says what. And it's not an interpret. It's not just up for me by saying my standards were too high. Um, and again, I, I think I mentioned my friend that came to me at one point and she, we were, I was discussing that with her and she said she was horrified actually that I would say that, that I would even suggest that my standards were too high. And she was horrified that he would suggest as a, as a Christian that my standards were too high. Um, I really struggled uh, with my, I think my faith where my faith struggled the most was with other Christians um, because the majority of the Christians that I have uh, encountered defended him, partly because he was the one that did all the talking um, and I didn't. I kept, I guess you could call me a secret keeper. I kept his secrets. I kept things. I kept, I tried to protect him. Even to this day, I find myself doing things to try and protect his reputation um, and keep try and paint things as in a better light. Um, but especially, uh, Christian women were the hardest, uh, and have been the hardest. They have, um, been the most judgmental. They often encouraged greater sacrifice, not realizing that my sacrifice that I had done up to that point was to the point of death and dying. Um, they, they were much more, uh, accepting of his behavior, um, excusing it, forgiving it, whatever. They felt like they could, that he was able to, you could change him, which of course I thought I could change him a long time too. Uh, men, Christian men were the ones that for the most part was very interesting. Um, they would, if I talked to them, they were the ones that helped me also recognize that these behaviors were never to be accepted among any man or especially Christian men. Um, men were the ones that were the first to speak out to me about his behavior and say, this is unacceptable behavior. This, no man should ever treat his wife and children this way. 
this should not be acceptable. You should not accept this. Um, and then at times they would even take it so far to make it even Christian men should never be able to do this and get away with this. So, um, the sad thing was, is Christian women often assumed that his accusations against me, um, were true because I was an attractive woman and they would just believe them. So I would say that the women, the Christian women were probably more spiritually abusive in my, in my experience than even the men were. Um, however, men have their fault in the fact that they might call the behavior what it is, but when they, but they also maintain friendships with those same men that they acknowledge are, be, are abusive. And so I lost women friends and I lost male friends, um, over all of our situation. And he got to keep a lot of them until he burned those bridges too, because he's good at burning bridges. <laughs> um, let's see. I had a uh, male friend who was, who was probably very instrumental in bringing us to a point of getting counseling um, because he was actually horrified by his behaviors. Um, he saw them, he heard about them, and he challenged me not to accept it. Um, of course, when we did get into counseling, finally talked to my ex-husband into getting into counseling, he assumed that we were in counseling because I needed fixed and I had had an affair. That was his, that was his story. He tried to push that and he still tries to push that. He says that that's the case. Um, the sad thing was, is even during all the counseling we did, he never showed up to work on himself. He only showed up to work on me. And so I showed up to work on me. He showed up to work on me and I got the best benefit. <laughs> One thing I did want to talk about though, um, was during counseling, the uh, counselor told me, he kind of gave me an illustration of what it's like to be in a relationship with someone with borderline personality disorder. And it described our relationships. It described his and my relationship and our relationship with others perfectly. And it has continued to hold true. Um, and that is the character of Pigpen um, in the Peanuts comic strip, uh, and the Snoopy cartoon. So Pigpen is known as an amiable, but exceptionally dirty, per dirty character. And he attracts a permanent cloud of dust everywhere he goes. At one point, um, he even cleans up he, different times through the shows and over through the comic strips, he cleans up and he's always cleaning up to impress somebody. He find um, uh, it's, it's, it's so interesting to watch the characters and how they interact with Pigpen. So the, the counselor told me, he said, when you interact with Pigpen, he said, it's this huge cloud of dust. Nobody knows what's really happening in that cloud of dust. It's like a big, there's a big fight that's happening and it's like in the cloud and all they can see is an arm and a leg sticking out of the cloud. And nobody knows what's happening actually in the cloud, who's swinging, who's doing what. 
but they all come out and they're all dirty. And that's what it's like being in a relationship with somebody with borderline personality disorder, because you can never get the real story. You can never get down to what's actually happening because their, their story, your story will always be different. And that's how friends feel. Um, friends of couples with borderline personality disorder, the friends don't know what to believe. They don't know who's at fault. The court systems don't know what to believe. They don't know who's at fault because somebody with borderline personality disorder can take exactly the very thing that is their problem. And they are so good at projecting it onto somebody else and they can make it look like everybody in the room has the same problem. Um, so it's like everybody gets dirty and nothing ever gets solved. And that's the life of living with a borderline personality disorder. You're never going to get to the bottom of it. And that's why I say boundaries are so important because boundaries are the, you need to stop arguing about the things that you can never solve. You're never going to get it fixed. You're never going to get to the bottom of it. Boundaries are the only way to move forward. And people with borderline personality disorder, they like their dirt. They attract more dirt. They want it to, they want to stay in the dirt and they want you to join them in the dirt. Um, and the problem is, is people without that disorder don't, can't survive in that environment. They survive just fine. They're, they enjoy their life like that. You, no one else can survive it. Um, so there's some interesting, I went through this, uh, this comic strip and looked up some characters about uh, the comic strip. And it's really interesting to watch how over the years that this comic strip developed and uh, Schultz who developed the comic strip, he it's kind of known that he really didn't like the attention that Pigpen got in his comic strip. It really bothered him. But I think the fact that he kept Pigpen and Pigpen was a character in his comic strip speaks to the fact that I think that he, the way he, he manif Pigpen manifests uh, the character throughout the, the comic is that I think Schultz had a borderline personality disorder person in his life. And that was how he put it out there. And, and you don't like it. You don't like the attention that that person draws, but Pigpen always draws all attention. He's got like a magnetic personality and he attracts all this, this dirt. Um, there's a time when uh, Patty and Violet, they're mocking Pigpen. Um, and at one point, they try and shame him into getting clean by making him look in a mirror. Um, and his response to that is, well, on the contrary, I didn't think I looked this good. And that's exactly what it is dealing with someone with borderline personality disorder. They're much like a narcissist. They cannot see their own dysfunction. They see themselves attractive. They see themselves in how they want, if they saw themselves how they really, really are, they emotionally would crumble. They would not be able to handle it. Um, in fact, at one point, uh, Pigpen is proud of his own dirt and he even describes it as a royal influence. He's, it's the dust that's trod on by Solomon, Neb Nebuchadnezzar, and Ga uh, Genghis Khan. So he saw his dirt as like a badge of honor, like, you know, I've got famous people wrapped up in my dirt. And um, so he had a way of turning his dirt to be where it made, he saw it, he, he twisted it to make it look, make himself look good. Um, 
There's one point where Snoopy is disgusted by Pigpen's distress or dirtiness, um, and he refuses to take food from Pigpen because all Pigpen's food is like he has gumdrops and they're black, and his food is dirty. Um, and he's really revolted when Pigpen tries to pet him, and when and leaves him dirty from being petted. He, that that was really revolting to Snoopy, and that's some people's response to being in a relationship with uh, borderline personality disorder. Sometimes you're just revolted by the filth that's around them, and you don't know how to deal with it. How do you become? How do you? How can you be in a close relationship with this person? Because it can be very revolting at times. Um, at one point, Trot Patty uh, tries to change Pigpen, and the reason she does that is um, Pigpen manages to clean one side of his body, and he keeps it clean. And she believes, because that one side is clean, that's the only side she can see, that he's completely clean. Um, so she she starts trying to change him to keep him keep him that way because she sees all the value uh, in him that no one else can see. So you see, that's um, that's also how people interact with borderline personality disorders. You think, hey, there's so many good qualities about this person. They're they're redeemable qualities. This can be this can be a good thing. And people get involved and they don't realize that that other part is always there. It's never going to go away. Um, and Pigpen actually likes that part. <laughs> um, so when they animated, when the animators animated the cartoon, what they did was they made it so that the dust cloud was a moving part of who he was. It was part of the character of who he was. Um, it was even to the point of being just an extension of himself. Um, there was a game that came out uh, called Snoopy's Street Fair. And Pigpen in that uh, game owns a circuit, a flea circus. And I found that to be very interesting, too, because uh, if you think of fleas, there's, they multiply rapidly. They're disgusting. <laughs> Nobody wants fleas around. Um, they hop and jump around and... Uh, Borderline personality dis disorder people often are are said to have flying monkeys, uh, like a circus, a flying monkeys, and they those they keep these flying monkeys around to do their bidding, um, and I found that to be an interesting correlation because borderline personality people have flying monkeys and Pigpen had a flea circus, <laughs> that is, and the the correlation is very accurate. Um, so, uh, in 2015, this is another interesting part of Pigpen character. In 2015, uh, there was all laundry detergent commercial uh, where Snoopy dressed as a magician and he puts a cloth over Pigpen and instantly makes Pigpen clean. Uh, and but the bad bad thing is is Snoopy it caused Snoopy to get all dirty, which makes Snoopy mad. And, and that's what it's like. If you can get, if you can get, there's a lot of people that try and help borderline personality dis disorder people. They think, oh, I can, I'm going to get involved. I care about them. This is, this is, like I said, this is redeemable. We can help them. We can get them well. And I think that that was a lot of my belief when I got married um, to him was that 
together we could build a life together we could do things you have problems everybody's got problems and I thought that it would end up and well and what it did was I ended up leaving with filthy crap all over me and he looked amazing and <laughs> at least that's how he liked to portray it um so I, I find that the, the fact that my counselor brought that up when we were doing marriage counseling, it, it has had so many uh, interesting correlations to my life. And, and I just find it very interesting. And I really do thank Schultz, who developed the uh, Charlie Brown cartoon, the characters of Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and Pigpen. That, it was interesting because he was really just probably portraying people that he had relationships with in his own life. Um, Charlie Brown is an interesting character in that, in that as well. And that he's the only one throughout all the comic that believes, uh, that he, even though he's disgusted with, uh, Pigbend, he is, he gets caught up in defending him, um, against all the, his friends and even tries to be like Pigpen at one point. And that's, that's another thing I see with people that interact with borderline personality disorder people. They get caught up in trying to be like them or trying to normalize the behavior and make it so that it's, it's okay. And, and the bottom line is it's so not okay and it's so unhealthy. Um, Lucy at one point treats pig pen like a patient. That's another way that people treat borderline personality disorder people. And that's how I, at time, that's moving forward from at the point when we got divorced, that's where I was kind of at that crossroads where I was like this, my husband is now going to become a patient of mine where I have to care for him. Um, and you do, you get to where um, in a relationship like that, you spend a lot of time telling them how to fix their life. How do they get clean? Um, how to not get dirty again, how to do this, how to do that. And you become a mother figure to that person. And men don't like having their wives be mother figures. Um, so it, I, I see myself in all the characters surrounding Pigpen. And I see other people that have jumped into his life and tried to be the characters surrounding Pigpen. And at the end of the day, through all of it, Pigpen is still Pigpen. And Pigpen never changes. And that is a sad part of borderline personality disorder, but it is also a real part. And I think the sooner you recognize that and accept it, the sooner you can live a healthy life. Yeah. Well, and my mom at one point sent me a book. Well, I think called, one of our previous uh, right before it was to, during the you know, very discouraging, depressing time of our marriage, where I was sure that we dog, were about to be. So we were on the verge of divorce. I knew it. I could sense it in my spirit. I could sense it in counseling, and I was keeping my parents up to date uh, with how we were doing. But I told her. Um, about our situation. And there were two things that she told me. Uh, one was she sent me this book called how to, how to have a new husband by Friday. And the other was she, uh, uh, her personal experience, which I, I need to get back to that too, just as a point of reference and a perspective on our relationship, 
uh, versus her relationship. But in the book, How to Have a New Husband by Friday, um, I just skimmed through it because at that point I was done. I was done reading advice on how I could fix our situation. And our counselor had, was the one that really challenged me to back up from that. He said, as long as you're doing 100% of the work in the relationship, he doesn't have to lift a finger. And he said, if your relationship is going to survive, he has to pull his part of the weight. And so I backed off from reading all the books and doing all the things and started trying to focus on the fact that, um, and this was a, a concept because I, I, I came into marriage believing that each person has a relationship um, 100%. You have 100% responsibility for your relationship. If you think it's 50-50, you're bound to fail. But what I didn't recognize in that belief system that I was living in was that no matter how 110% you show up for your 100% percent, you're still only responsible for 50% of that relationship because without somebody else pulling their 50% of that relationship, you don't have a marriage. You don't have a healthy relationship. And so both people have to pull a hundred percent of their 50%. And when he gave me that illustration, I recognized finally, and nobody had ever said it to me that way, that it is really true. Like you can't be married to somebody who puts zero effort into being married. You just can't, it's not possible. And so it helped me. That was a boundary issue for me where I started trying to work on my boundaries of my 50% of the relationship. What was mine and what was not mine? Um, my mom, oh, in this book, How to Change Your Husband by Friday, I did skim it. And he said one of the biggest problems with people is they marry a zebra and they expect to get a horse out of it. And he said, the best way that you can have a new husband is to accept the fact that you've married a zebra and not a, not a horse. <laughs> horse will never be a zebra and a zebra will never be a horse. They might look the same and you can like try and bleach their hair or pet paint on one of them, but they will never be the same animal. And that was really good advice, but it also confirmed everything that I knew was that I didn't have the horse. <laughs> I had a zebra <laughs> and I had to recognize, am I okay with the fact that I'm going to have a zebra? And again, I was fully committed until uh, my life became in danger and realized that that was not a reality that was in within mm -hmm. my choice anymore. But um, my mom, at the time I told her that we were in a place mm -hmm. where we were going to, we we, I thought that we were going to get divorced. We hadn't done anything about it yet, but I just told her I felt like I felt like our relationship was ending. And she looked at me and she had been married um, for 37 years at that point. And she looked at me and she said, but in 37 years of marriage, I have felt like I would die if I stayed married any longer. And I looked at her and I said, mom, you might feel like you would die. And that's your choice. I said, I am not going to die in this relationship. I said, I want to live. I want to live and live my life. And if I can do it and be married to him, I will do it. 
I said, but if my requirement is that he kills me in order for me to stay, I will not stay. I said, that's my, that's my line. And that became at, at some point, that was the choice that I had to make. When I had friends telling me that, um, they felt like he was setting me up um, to kill me. That's when I said, I'm getting out. And um, I never made the first move. He did. And so that was, I, I, I have no regrets. I don't feel like I did anything to cause uh, the failure of my relationship. I feel like I did absolutely everything within my power. I still, uh, it still grieved me deeply to this day um, that I had to live and experience that kind of uh, dashed, dashed hopes and dreams. And it has uh, grieved me still to this day with my children that they've had to live through such a difficult, um, difficult experience, the abuse that they have gone through in their lifetimes because of my choice to marry him has grieved me to no end. The fact that they've had to continue to navigate relationship with him and with my absence has grieved me deeply. But it came to the point where I felt like maybe if I got out of the picture um, and I was not in the middle of his relationship with the children, that maybe he would behave better to them. Maybe he would uh, rise up and be a better dad. Um, I think that having the courts involved in our situation made him behave better. Um, he realized that he had to do certain things. He's still not um, always behaved well. Uh, he still has done abusive things, but the kids won't speak out against it at this point. And therefore, um, it's my ex-wife word against his word. Um, so I just look vindictive and mean on that front. Um, I don't think, I think that there are some things in life that you never get over. And I think my relationship with him, the grief that I went through, the sadness, the despair um, is something that still, it's changed my life. It's changed how my brain works. It changes, it's changed how um, I handle stress. Um, I feel very susceptible to stress. Um, and it, I work very hard at staying in a healthy place mentally. And even having this interview, uh, you know how long it took me to have the interview because it was a triggering conversation for me, um, because I don't have to have this conversation if I don't want to anymore. I don't have to talk about it and I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place with my new husband. Um, most of the time and I'm in a really good place with my kids except when it comes to conversations about their dad. And it's just, I, I really uh, have to not say a word and let them kind of figure out things on their own. And it makes me sad. Um, it's been really difficult to be a parent uh, in these situations because I have been told uh, by attorneys to not have conversations about him or about his parenting with my kids. And my kids have then been left sadly to their own uh, many times to try and navigate through difficult circumstances. And I think that's probably the biggest injustice to my children is they have had no wise parent to step in and help them navigate difficult situations. Um, 
And that probably has made them feel abandoned and alone. And I'm sure they blame it on our divorce, but I'm hoping, I do hope that someday they will get to the point where I can have better conversations with them, adult conversations, and that they can understand things from an adult perspective. Um, And maybe they'll find some resolution as well at some point. I think that covers everything. Thank you, Esther, for being on our show and telling your story as, as triggering as it may be. I think what you say will help a lot of people that are in the similar situations that are fighting this very same battle. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. This is Rachel in Recovery. Tune in on Thursdays at 10 a.m. on your favorite podcast or follow us on your favorite social media platform. And as always, Go to www.rachelandrecovery.com. Thanks for listening.